Hello and welcome to the monthly BV Magazine podcast, your genuine slice of rural Dorset life. This is episode one, October 2022, with me, Terry Bennett. And hello from me, Jenny Devitt. In this episode, how NHS Dorset is investing in technology to improve care for the population. We get the inside story on how local turkey farmers are preparing for Christmas. And philanthropist and environmentalist Edward Hall takes on the random 19. But first, here's Laura Hitchcock. Hello, it's Laura. As I felt the days begin to shorten and cool, I eagerly anticipated a slowing down of the frenetic pace of summer. And yet September just kept on hammering the blows, didn't it? I'm afraid I don't have insightful words or great clarity to share. Like you, I find myself floundering, baffled, wondering where all the grown-ups went who used to be in charge. On the world stage, it's been almost impossible to keep up. The war in Ukraine, protests in Iran, famine in Somalia, rockets from North Korea. I'll admit there have been spells where I haven't even wanted to try keeping up, feeling despair and despondency shadowing me as I track the latest twists and turns in the world's plots. Here at home, Liz Truss and Quasi Kwarteng have done a magnificent job of keeping things quiet and calm, though, haven't they? We personally had a rather difficult month, too. Regular readers will remember our beloved cat Pog, who sauntered into our lives last summer, destroyed our wallpaper and conquered our hearts. At the start of the month, she was hit by a car, an ever-present fear for all of us who live on a road. I'm aware she was just a cat. I'm aware that in the grand scheme of all the things I just said, she wouldn't even rate a mention. And yet... Anyone who's lost a pet will know how we have been grieving. Still half listening for her shouts announcing her arrival as she clatters through the cat flap. Still catching sight of her out of the corner of an eye. Still missing her warm, silky body, so long and casually slack when she was lifted. Gently rumbling contentedly when any of her humans appeared. We miss her deeply. We did finally manage to escape the house, though, and we spent a couple of much-needed weeks in North Wales. Not what I planned for the sun-soaked lays by a French pool... But it turned out to be exactly what we all needed. Some time away with each other, lots of walking, beachcombing, castle exploring and the evenings laughing over card games. I hope your October is warm, calm and filled with some smile-making moments. I think we all need it. News. NHS Dorset is investing in technology to improve care for the population, sometimes unpopular. It is necessary to cope with demand, Rachel Rowe reports. Most of us are aware of the increased demands on primary care and hospitals at the moment and the challenges in getting appointments. But what if there was a way of getting help to people more efficiently using technology? That's exactly what's happening with primary care in parts of North Dorset. The Blackmore Vale Partnership manages GP practices in Shaftesbury, Gillingham and Sturminster Newton. It's been busy trailblazing a new IT system to manage appointments. Newly appointed clinical digital care coordinator Charlie Davis explains, Clinic is a nationally recognised system. It's used by 500 practices across the country and it brings a uniformity to the service. As featured in the BV last year, Gillingham Medical Practice, like so many others, adopted a new solution. At that time, Dr Chris Pierce told Rachel, Prior to the new system, Gillingham Surgery received 14,500 phone calls a month. Only 53% of those calls got answered. There simply weren't enough people to pick up the phone. It's impossible to deal with that volume. Just think about that number for a moment. And that's just one practice in Dorset. Others have the same problems. It's not sustainable. 
Who deals with what? Rachel recently used eConsult very successfully at the Blandford Group of Practices and wondered how the two platforms, Clinic and eConsult, differed. Charlie says, Clinic offers so much more and it also helps with choice and promotes a better service. So how is it all going to work when someone phones their GP? Dr Simone Yule, Clinical Director for the Blackmore Vale Partnership, is clear on the benefits. Clinic will bring a uniformity of service. Whether someone rings the surgery or uses the website, they'll get the same response. Part of the problem is the huge range of healthcare practitioners in primary care now, such as paramedics, physiotherapists and nurses. Knowing who is best to deal with an issue can be difficult. With this new system, we can streamline patients to the right place and for the right reason. There's an element of instant triage and there's a clinical team behind it looking at what's coming in on the system. So people will either get a face-to-face -face or a phone appointment. And it should then be easier to get that face-to-face -face appointment because the system releases capacity. Digital triage. When someone uses the clinic system, they're asked a series of questions, which is a core part of the triage. It starts with the basics. So, for example, if you have a query about a letter, you'll go straight to the administrative team. Clinic is designed to reduce call time. So the issue of being told you are number 52 in the queue should resolve. However, the system is not for emergencies. When you've answered the questions, a calendar pops up where you can give a time convenient for someone from the practice to call you or to schedule an appointment. So what happens to the receptionists now? Laura Grant, who's Operations Manager at Blackmore Vale Partnership, reassured Rachel. The receptionists are really excited about it. It's a new system and it builds relationships with the team. Simone adds, we think of receptionists as patient service teams here because they do so much more than just be on reception and answer the phone. Help is at hand. But what if you're unable to use the internet? Firstly, the phone option is still available, but you'll still answer all the questions as the patient service team uses the same algorithms to assess your need as the online system. Then they'll pass your request to one of the clinicians monitoring the system. And if you want to become more confident in using the online service, Charlie is available to help you navigate the internet and use the various apps and technical services best. More than just your GP. Dorset is using more technology to support people managing their long-term conditions and stay healthy. Verena Cooper, who's supporting the project, outlined the MyMHealth app to Rachel used by people with diabetes, asthma and COPD. Dorset is also implementing the BP at Home service, where people can measure their blood pressure at home and usually in a less stressful environment. In addition, there's an entire library of online services on the Orca platform, where all the digital applications have been thoroughly checked for safety and IT security. Another exciting development in Dorset has been the DIIS, Dorset Information and Intelligence Service, pronounced DICE, which uses anonymised data such as medical codes to help practices and primary care networks identify people who are at risk of developing health problems so they can be targeted for more support. Whether you like it or not, Technology is here to stay in the NHS, from insulin pumps transforming the lives of people with diabetes to robotic surgery and innovative apps which help to manage chronic illness.
times are changing. And the most exciting developments in tech and healthcare are when they make a positive difference to people. If you think your traditional turkey is a dry, under-flavoured, overrated bird, then you might want to change where you buy it, says Rachel Rowe. It's that time of year when thoughts turn to plans for the festive season and the food. For many people, a turkey is the centrepiece of a Christmas dinner. But what goes into rearing the best quality turkey? And how do you know yours will be good? Our local turkey farmers are gearing up for the busiest time of the year and spoke to us about their work. Alban and Helen Harris are seventh generation farmers at Brunsell Farm in Sturton Cornwall. I've been doing this all my life, says Alban. I can remember Grandma on the farm. There's a lot of heritage within this farm and lots of things continue here, so the traditional way of doing things affects the quality of the turkeys. The turkey industry has been industrialised and costs have had to be cut. However, we have stuck with our traditional methods. We feed the birds the best quality wheat, soya and cereal, and the whole process is carried out on the farm so there is less stress to the turkey. That's something that Mark Chilcott of Chilcott Turkeys in Overmoyne also emphasised when talking about quality. He has 30 years experience of producing turkeys. Everything is done here on the farm from start to finish to monitor quality and reduce stress on the turkeys. We're free range and we have bronze turkeys. When our birds are slaughtered they are hung whole bodied so they mature and the flavour improves. Dry plucking Alban explained more about the difference between wet plucking and dry plucked turkeys. With wet plucking the birds are slaughtered and then scalded so the feathers can be removed faster. In mass turkey production wet plucking can take five seconds to do. However when you do that the case is compromised and the bird has to be refrigerated immediately. Here after slaughter all our birds are dry plucked by hand. It is intensive work to pluck a bird manually usually 20 minutes so that adds to the cost. We then hang the birds for 10 days so they mature on flavour and tenderise. Turkeys are a game bird so they need a chance to mature before they are dressed. This is why some mass-produced turkeys are drier because the meat hasn't had a chance to tenderise. Also most of our birds are hens which put down more fat and that also adds to the flavour. Plumpy whites and roly-polies Chicks arrive from June on the farms and both farmers select from the best strains. The breeds have delightful sounding names such as Plumpy Whites and Roly Polies, a bronze variety. While the Chilcots have free-ranging birds, Alburn's turkeys are raised in barns where they have lots of room to stretch their wings and nestle on straw. We're very wary of risking bird flu by having them outdoors. But what about the cost? Both Alban Harris and Mark Chilcott have experienced significant increases in the cost of quality food this year, which will inevitably affect prices. However, a turkey is a large and versatile bird. There is a lot people can do with the leftovers to make it more cost-effective. Helen Harris advises, with a fresh turkey you can freeze the cold meat in portions and use it later in the year. Soups, curries and pies are good for using leftovers and you can freeze them too. Some people buy a whole turkey from us and cut it in half. Then they eat half the bird at Christmas and freeze the other side for later in the year. Local turkeys. Alban and Helen sell turkeys to 17 butchers locally. Julian and Roger Else come here and pick out the turkeys they want. Chilcot turkeys also supply several local butchers and sell at the farm gate. So what is the customer looking for? 
People want smaller turkeys, says Alban, but are increasingly wanting only breast meat. We need to be realistic on pricing because there is more work in jointing the turkeys. And with crowns you need a bigger bird, so that affects the price. Sometimes we bone roll ours. One year we bone rolled the turkey and had a piece of venison through the middle, which was really lovely. I don't advertise it too much because it's so fiddly and everybody will want them. It's one of the last things I do before Christmas, mainly for a few friends. And as I'm doing it, I think, we're there now. The turkeys have gone, the work is almost done, and it's Christmas. Letters to the Editor On Patricia Miller This one from Anne Gray near Verwood What a fantastic Dorset Island Discs this month. The NHS has lost its way, September 2022. The column is always an enjoyable read, and your varied guest range is particularly interesting. As a Dorset resident, I'm rather ashamed to admit... I hadn't heard of Patricia Miller before. Not only was hers an inspiring story of a woman rising up against the odds, but what a thought-provoking and insightful interview into our health. I'm not sure I had ever grasped before that a mere 20% of our health is actually about our physical wellness, the rest being all about where we live, our education, our jobs. Fascinating stuff, and I can only imagine the frustrations of this being your work when set against so many obstacles. And how can we not appreciate a woman in such an important, powerful role who proudly picks Cameo alongside the Gracie Showman and Bob Marley? Just a quick note to thank you for your feature on Patricia Miller. Though disguised as a fluff piece, her interview was insightful, intelligent, thoughtful and thought-provoking. And as a bonus, it reminded me how much I used to enjoy Anita Baker. That letter was from Charlotte B. of Blandford. On the waste of wool. I was interested in your article on the modern wool industry. We need more woolly thinking, September 2022. There have been some amazing innovations in the wool industry, but there are so many more opportunities still to be taken advantage of. British wool is unique because, unlike many other breeds of sheep like merino, British fleeces tend to make coarser, scratchier wool. This was once a competitive advantage when our carpet industry was booming. But as carpet sales slumped and the fashion for hardwood floors arrived, wool prices began to plunge. From being a prime trading product a decade ago, wool has become a simple by-product and farmers began burning fleeces because it was no longer economically effective to lug them to market. Of course we can wear it, though for a waste product it seems to be remarkably expensive to buy pure wool clothing, or use it for building insulation but some entrepreneurs have really started exploring its potential. Solid wool is a sustainable alternative to fibreglass. Woolly Shepherd makes sound absorbers. Chimney Sheep makes rolls of gardener's felt, perfect mulch, plants love growing in it, and it biodegrades within a year. Woolcot makes felt liners for insulating boxes to transport food. Anyone who has one of those meal subscriptions from HelloFresh or Abel & Cole will know them. Far more importantly, they're also used for vaccine transport. On top of all of this, it's also used for cleaning up oil spills. It's fully biodegradable and 100% renewable. Why is it still seen as a waste product? I cannot understand it. John Farrer, Shaftesbury. And this letter comes from Della Jones, MBE, sent by email. 
Having left school in 1946, I worked in London for a Belgian wool merchants with strong connections to the wool futures market, representing company branches from around the world. London, having suffered and survived the Blitz, was an exciting place to work, especially for a young girl having just left school, with rationing and ration books the mainstay of our lives. I was fortunate in that we received gift aid parcels from the firm's American Connections, containing nylon stockings and nylon material, which made wonderfully luxurious underwear, together with parcels from Australia containing skeins of wool. I particularly recall some beautiful soft green merino wool. While sitting on the steam train travelling into London every day, I knitted it into a long sleeveless cardigan, which, after 74 years, still being as good as new, I am wearing today. Oh, happy days. A note from Canada. This is from Tom Blackmore in Ontario. I write from Canada where the Blackmore connection to the Queen is that my father-in-law was Lieutenant Governor of Ontario. In other words, he was Her Majesty's representative for the province. I met her twice, and she was such a wonderful lady. Hard to imagine a world without her. My grandfather, Wallace Blackmore, left school at a very young age and joined the White Star Line. I believe his father or grandfather was a millwright in the Devonshire area. After a few years, he jumped ship in New York in 1912 and hitchhiked to Windsor here in Ontario, and eventually opened his own bakery under the Blackmore name. If he had not jumped ship in New York, his next assignment for White Star was to be on the maiden voyage of the Titanic. I was hoping to take my wife back to the UK last year, but Covid got in the way. Hopefully we will be able to make the trip next year. All the best from Canada. Variable Bills, an email from C. Wilmont. It seems very few people know about variable direct debits. If you are good at budgeting, it's a much better way to pay for your utilities. You send in your monthly meter readings and get the bill a few days later. A week after that, the exact amount you have used is taken from your bank. Definitely no need for an astronomical monthly direct debit. My bill for August was less than £25. My whole year's usage was less than £600. Use less and you pay less. Excellent magazine. Keep up the good work. And the final letter comes from Catherine Vaux of Tisbury. A wonderful ecumenical evensong took place on Thursday the 16th of September at the Sacred Heart Church in Tisbury. Father Robert is not one who likes a fuss, but thought this would be a rather good idea. And he was right. The Reverend Juliet Hume kindly led the service. Father Robert sat by the font where he could see and then speak to all as they came by. It was a splendid farewell. The church was filled with our parishioners, our dean, Father Anthony, those from St John's, the Methodist Church and Tisbury community. Mark Sheldon welcomed everyone. Teresa Frost and Mark read the lessons. The choir sang from the gallery in the West End and consisted of members of the Hinden and Chilmark Choir and those of Warder and the Sacred Heart, led by Felicity Pattenden. The BCP Evensong, which was at the request of Father Robert, opened with the choir singing a four-part round of a Tese Gloria. The Canticles of the Magnificat and Nunc Dimittis were sung to settings by Smart and Monk. The anthem, Schubert's Ave Maria, was performed beautifully by soprano Uno Connolly. Organist Douglas Stevens accompanied us all as proficiently as ever. 
Father Robert joined us all afterwards for refreshments in the parish room. A collection was taken for Stella Maris, a charity for seafarers which is dear to Father Robert's heart. He has written several books about seafaring and One Firm Anchor includes the history of this organisation, Apostleship of the Sea, now Stella Maris. Thank you to all those who took part, to Reverend Juliet Hume and to Felicity and the choir, Douglas, our organist, readers, helpers and the Social Committee for Refreshments. Features Philanthropist and environmentalist Edward Hoare takes on the random 19. Edward Hoare is a philanthropist and environmentalist and direct descendant of Sir Richard Hoare, who founded Hoare's Bank in 1672. C. Hoare & Co. is the UK's oldest privately owned bank, retained continuously by the Hoare family for 12 generations, this year celebrating its 350th anniversary. In 1719, Good Henry Hoare founded Westminster Hospital, the world's first publicly funded hospital. In 1891, William Hoare founded the world's first hospice, Royal Trinity Hospice. Many other hospitals, schools, churches and charitable institutions have sprung from the family's energetic vision for society. Each year, the partners donate up to 10% of the bank's profits to charity. Travelling Adventurer Born at Starhead, Edward was a member of the Hawes Bank Family Forum, which continues the Hawes family tradition of giving to good causes. He left home as a young man, living in Rio de Janeiro, where he worked in the Bank of London and South America, from 1968 to 71. He returned home and trained as a chartered accountant from 1972 to 1976. In 1977, he embarked on a trip around the world, during which he visited the Royal Chitwan National Park in Nepal, inspiring his pioneering interests in environmental issues. Edward finally joined the family bank as a banker's agent, a position he held for more than 30 years. Edward now explores new ways as to how to make the planet more sustainable and has co-created an innovative mind-mapping platform called Thought Space. The main focus of attention is the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, and what can be done to enable greater involvement with the most important plans for the planet. And so, to the questions. What's your relationship with the Blackmore Vale, the loose North Dorset area, not us? Well, you see, I've looked on the Blackmore Vale um, for the whole of my life. Having been born in Starhead, we're just, you know, we're just a short way away from Borton, and Borton is in the Blackmore Vale. And so the Blackmore Vale, in a way, has been home all my life. What's your comfort meal? What's your comfort meal? Great question. What it is, two slices of toast, a load of grated cheese, Branston pickle, all put together in a sandwich and the top bit smothered in rapeseed oil. Then put in the top of the oven till it's really crispy and brown. Delicious. What was the last film you watched? The last film was Don't Look Up. And yes, I'd certainly recommend it. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Oh yeah, we've got five. One's a 
weeny little pug chihuahua cross and the others are all Labradors, they're smallish Labradors. The very, very first one in Starhead, it was a Dachshund. Oh, Monty. What shop can you not pass without going in? Probably connected with food, especially food that's excellent. What would you like to tell 15-year-old you? I've had a good think about that. And I think it's four little things. It's do as you would be done by, do things well, take a long-term view and stand up for right. What's your secret superpower? I'd say look in the eyes and speaking the truth. What book did you read last year that stayed with you? The book is Red Notice by Bill Browder. It gives such an insight into stuff that happens, political things, the way the world works. What would you most like to be remembered for? Trying hard for others, looking to the future and doing it always. What's your most annoying trait? Persistence and not giving up. What was the last gift you gave someone? It was a clothes dryer and much appreciated. Your favourite quote? If you don't ask, you don't get. Age 17, I went to Eton and age 17, I just thought I'd like to learn Portuguese. And I wanted to learn Portuguese because Brazil was the first country I knew of where we had blacks, whites, yellows, coloured, all sorts living together without wanting to slit each other's throats. So I thought, well, hey-ho, I'd like to try that. So I asked my parents if I could learn Portuguese and they weren't especially interested in the reasoning behind or anything like that. They just said, yes, get on with it yourself. So I did. And with one other person at school, we formed up to the school and they found a Portuguese teacher for us who was excellent. And he taught us. And so he was formal, informal. It was the work, slang, you name it. And then aged 18, with no family, no friends, no connections living in Brazil, I went to, I got a job in the Bank of London, South America and went to live in Rio for three years. And it was absolutely fantastic. And come the end of it, aged maybe just 22, I wrote the Brazilian Rules of Life. And it's a little set of eight little rules which even now, 50 years on, they bring a smile to the face. And for example, rule number one is if you don't ask, you don't get. And rule number eight is listen, because if you don't listen, you don't hear. The best crisps flavour? Marmite ones. And the best biscuit for dunking? McVitie's Digestive. Your top three most visited websites? Most important plans. Philanthropy Impact. And Mere Mutters. Chip shop chips or home-baked cake? 
chips, please. Tell us about one of the best evenings you've had. 60th birthday in the middle of the Amazon with my wife and friends and lovely people next to a river and it was dreamlike. What in life is, frankly, a mystery to you? I think it's how uncaring and non-listening and cruel many of us can be. You have the power to pass one law tomorrow, uncontested. What will you do? I'd wish to pass a law where all public money, public contracts go to recipients who are open so nothing is ever allowed to be hidden. And with that, that's it for this episode of the BV Magazine podcast. So it's goodbye from me, Terry Bennett. And goodbye from me, Jenny Davitt. Until next week.